0: In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul writes, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for the opportunity to come and to share this. I pray, Father God, that I do it as... um, God, as you fill my heart with it, Father God, that my, I've prayed over this, Father God, that I've been humbled tonight, Father. I thank you, God, for, uh, for the opportunity to come in first, God, and work with my brothers, God. It was, it's always so. Such a thrill, Father God, to be able to spend time, extra time with the men of this church, God. We have such godly men, and you blessed us so much with that, Father. You've given us leaders, Father God, and I thank you for that, Father God. I'm so thankful. I ask you, please, God, that you bless them and their families. Bless their leadership within our church, Father God. Give them wisdom, because there are always so many hard decisions to make, Father God. But I know, Lord, right now you actively work in each and every one of their hearts, Father God, to give them a ministry to us, a ministry that we don't even always know about, Father. But you do so much for us through them. I thank you for their efforts, Father God. They spend many sleepless nights, Father, over the things of this church, and ask you, please, that those, that their sacrifices always rewarded. God, I ask you, please, God, to bless us now, Lord, as we, as we serve you together by studying the Word, Father. As you draw an end to what was really turned into a very long study, Father, I ask, please, that you will take this, Lord, and that you will open up ideas and just new avenues of the faith for us, Lord. I thank you, Father God. Please bless us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Um, as I prayed over this, I just came to this this idea that, that um, we're, we're talking about good works. We're talking about how... We serve each other. And that, that folks, oftentimes in churches like ours, that that can take on negative connotations. We can have the idea that somehow good works are a bad thing. Or you can be accused of preaching something that is works-based. And it takes on all these negative connotations. And I'm, I want to strike out at that a little bit. It becomes a really terrible excuse to do nothing. Do you understand what I mean? We don't do anything because we're not works based. So that we, we develop a kind of attitude toward toward the faith that is it's only real if it's kind of high-minded. And but then as I see it, and I see it played out not not here so much, but in the lives of others they manage to do nothing with their faith. Their faith becomes something they study, becomes something that's internal for them and it's never external for anyone to see. And so as I prayed over that, I went to one of, one of my sources besides the scriptures. So the scriptures would be other would be godly men. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of those martyrs of the faith, a godly man, who talked about that issue of cheap grace that he, that he popularized in his book in which he details cheap grace. The book is called The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, We shall be judged according to our works. And I want to stop there for just a second. Don't let anybody in this room ever fool you or lead you into any other thing. We are going to be judged not just by what we believe, And not just by why we do what we do, but we're going to be judged by our works. What we have done is going to be laid out in front of God. He's going to judge what we do. Every moment of every day under the microscope of the keen eye of God. So don't get past that. God's judging what we did today. He's going to be judged what we do with every moment of every day. And the way I like to look at it now, with the rest of our days. 'Cause there are some very young people in this room and there's some very not as young as we used to be people. And we can get caught up now, this is country talk. We can get up caught up thinking we're cute, can't we, Jan? Even at even at our age, right? Thinking we're cute. And thinking somehow God's not as serious with us as he was when we were in our twenties or our thirties. I think God's more serious with me at my age than He was 30 years ago. You know why? 30 years ago, I was an idiot. I didn't have a clue. It was just by the grace of God that I just didn't, you know, fall off of something and get killed. I know better now. When I'm, when I'm under conviction in this house, or I'm under conviction when I'm at home and I'm in devotion... I know better. God spent years, spent decades, telling me what's right. You know, the, the, the cliche we have is there's no fool like an old fool, right? I'm averse to the thought of being an old fool. I want to still be a little impulsive for the things of my Lord... Because they need to mean so much to me. I don't want to be so sedentary, so staid, so cautious, and so stubborn that God's not moving me anymore. Because if God's not moving me, Jane, he might as well go ahead and kill me. He's going to take me home. If I'm so, if I know everything, if I know everything so well, if I'm so smart that God can't can't reach down into my heart and break it, then I'm ready to go be with Him. I need to go be with Him because I'm, I'm useless for His kingdom. Useless. So I, I want to reiterate that idea that, that we shall be judged according to our works. This is why we are exhorted to do, do good works. This is what Bonhoeffer said. God tells us on multiple occasions, Pansy, go do good works. Roger, do good works. Mike, do good works. We are told in Christ that our duty is... Is to do good works. We are the doers of good works who are always looking for an opportunity to go forth and do. Always looking for that opportunity. The Bible assuredly knows nothing of those qualms about good works by which we only try to excuse ourselves and justify our evil works. That's always been the thing. When we start arguing about whether we should do this or do that, we start arguing. We started arguing. Every church I've ever been in, when that argument started up about whether or not we should go or sin, deep, deep, deep down, the one motivating that argument was always doing it because they didn't want to go anywhere or do anything. They had fallen into that wicked, wicked trap of thinking God's money was their money. I'm thinking God's time was their time. fact of the matter is, Joe, we, we ought to sweat over every nickel, right? But we know, with deep down, pansy, we know it's not ours. Whose is it? It's His. It's always belonged. Even when it was in my pocket, it really belonged to Him. Even when it was in my bank account, it was His. It was never, ever mine. Like that little boy who's given a dollar by his daddy to put in the offering plate. Our father had given us a little bit of money and trusted us to deliver it where it belonged. It's always his. We're not a bank, are we? We're a ministry. There's a lot of people in this world that don't get that. I'm not saying they're in this room. I know they're not in this room. But I'm telling you, I've been in rooms with them before. When they loved that dollar more than they loved their Lord. And there's going to be a judgment against them. The Bible never draws the antithesis between faith and good works so sharply as to maintain that good works undermine faith, because they never have. If you're a believer in this room right now, and your heart has been stirred to do good works, it is not an accusation against you, it is evidence for your faith. It is when we have no desire to do good works that our faith is, as James says, dead. Dead. No, it is evil works rather than good works which hinder and destroy faith. See, I think that's the problem. I think, I think Bonhoeffer hints at something really awesome here. And what he's really saying is this, is, and I think I've said it in other terms, I'll have to, have to say it again, that is that nature abhors a vacuum. Nature's constant warfare is to fill that vacuum. Wherever there's so something lacking, nature wants to pour into it. In terms of an actual scientific vacuum, a lack of, of pressure, nature wants to fill it. You know what? If I have a vacuum of good works in my life, nature's going to fill it with some kind of works, isn't it? If I'm not doing good works, you know what I'm going to do? Evil works. If I'm not doing works that bring honor and glory to God, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring honor and glory to someone else. Every time. Every time. A lack of good works is an opportunity for Satan. Grace and active obedience are complementary. Grace and active obedience work together. Grace saves us. By grace are we saved through faith. Not of works. Why? Because men would boast. But our grace works hand in hand. The grace God has given us works hand in hand with the works that we do because we've been given grace. There's no faith without good works and no good works apart from faith. The only way to do good works is to have faith. The new work of Christ in the life of the believer is a focus not inward but outward towards the needs of the world around us. That is what I love about it. What I don't, I'm, I'm once again as I do this, as I walk through this, I've said it over and again. I feel like I'm failing in this. I feel so hypocritical because I come in and I talk about these things. And the issue is this: the issue is that our faith in Christ is supposed to have opened up our eyes of faith. Toward the possibilities of good works, and I might sit here telling you, I look around. I, everywhere I look, I see good works to be done. Because I don't. I wish I did. I wish everywhere, Mr. Loris, I looked, I saw a place in which the the hand of God was just leading me to do things for people. I don't do. I don't see that. And it's a failing. I need to. If they're everywhere. The one thing I learned about really trying to do that, I mean missional evangelistic living right here in the context in which we live that grows into doing it everywhere around the world. But one of those things I've, I've, I need to remind myself of is that every time I've really had a burning heart to go out and serve others, it just didn't take very long to find opportunities. What was lacking in me was the burning heart. What's lacking in our church is the burning heart. Because it's very, very easy, Glenda, to forget about everybody else's problems, right? When you got enough of your own. It just is. I, I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. It's a very easy thing to do when you've got enough things to worry about in your own house. To forget that other people struggle more than we do. <coughs> other people have more problems than we have. So they're out there. They're always there. We just have to surrender enough to God that we become truly focused outward and not focused inward. Because I don't mean your focusing inward is is necessarily selfish. What I mean more than any other thing is that your focus inward is natural. Katie, it's natural to us to sit around and bellyache about school. Because there's so much of it. And it's so messed up. Just a disaster. You start to question the sanity of the decision makers. You do. You start to question these things. And it would be easy for us to spend all of our time just caught up in that, right? Just caught up in it. No. No. Here's the thing this is just speaking locally cuz i got different decision makers than you do you can't fix that no matter how hard you try you can't and and y'all can't fix yours and whatever you got going on in this world you can't fix it whoever the boss is is going to be broken and you can't fix them only god can So what we do is is we leave those things that are God-sized issues to God. And we focus on where God wants us to apply our heart and our hands and our work. God, I'm going to let you handle Washington because I can't fix Washington. But I can deal with what's between my shoulder blades. I can deal with the space in which I occupy I can get my heart uh, uh, focused right, and once I do that, once my heart is focused right, then what? Then I'm good to go. I'm serving. Let the world take care of itself. I'm doing what God called me to do. It's a very, it's a very hard thing to do for me to keep my nose right there on God's grindstone because I want to have opinions about things that, to be honest with you, I, I could have an opinion about. but what does God want me to do? Focus. This is it. This is who you are, Tony. This is who you are, Kimberly. This is who you are, Buddy. This is what I want you to do. Do what I want you to do. Let God take care of Stephen, the God-sized problems. Because you can't fix those anyway. All you can do is stress yourself out over it, right? All we can do is waste ourselves in worry. Outward toward the needs of the world around us, beginning with love and concern directed toward the brother or sister. So it's okay for you and I to sit around as we ought to do and say, All right, I want to really start doing this. Where inside my church family, and I mean really church family, can I start to do this? Okay, I want to do good deeds. Who in my church family needs something? Now I got a real good friend, I won't mention his name because this is being recorded in the way it is. And so I won't mention his name because he would he might be embarrassed. But this friend is one of the most spiritual guys I've ever met in my life. And he has very, very often has done this in his pastorate. Literally say get in the pulpit and say, look, I was praying on the front pew and I realized there's somebody in this room that needs this. And you know why he has this knowledge? It's not any type of strange and supernatural knowledge. It's not really. It's straight coming from the Holy Spirit. And you know what? This guy's knowing that there are needs within his church because he's asking God what needs are there. And there's nothing to keep me from praying exactly the same prayer. And I'm going to tell you guys, there's nothing to keep you from praying this exactly the same prayer. I'll tell you, one of the problems that you really have, that I've had in 12 years as a pastor, is not that there weren't needs in our church, but there were some people who were always going to tell you about their needs every time they had one. If they had a hangnail, you're going to know about it. And there was always somebody in my church that needed something who was never going to say a word. Who would sit there and hurt, and you'd never know they were struggling. The only way you were going to know about their needs was if God told you. Because they were never going to say a single word. You know what? I'd like spiritually connection. Do you you understand what I'm saying here? Spiritually, I'd like that connection. That's, That's what we're praying for here now. God, open our hearts in such a supernatural way that we start to know what's really needed in our church. That we start to know what is really, what God is, what God, what, what where we really can apply love in our church that's going to really make a difference. Show us God. Show us where that faithful brother or faithful sister is absolutely aching right now. Show us, God. James warns us in James 2.15-16. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? James, I don't know if you've read the book of James recently. I would change you to go back. James is uber practical stuff. And what James simply says is this: is that we say, and I think it looks into our into our kind of churches, kind of area. Somebody can, even if somebody does walk up and tell us, "Man, I've got all these problems." our respond, "Man, bless you. I'll pray for you." What they may need is they need prayer, but what they may need is prayer and Glenda. Prayer and something. Never, I'm never saying don't pray for them. But I'm saying here's an express need. They need prayer and help. And help. And I'll be the first to tell you, I, I fail at this as much as anybody in this room or more. I am not here to try to lord this over you. There's a sin, sinning, broken Often hypocritical man who's standing before you called upon to say things to you that he knows he falls short on. It's a very, very, very hard thing to be a pastor sometimes. Because you've got to talk about things that God has told you to talk about that you are you're failing in. I'm failing at this. He says, What What does it do to say, Oh, bless you? It's just no you might as well say nothing. You might as well do you you you're wasting your time. So how do we how do we deal with this? Part of our part of our homework, I guess. We're called to meet needs. To love each other substantively in word and deed and not just figuratively through concern. Cause you know, that's kind of I, I care about them so much, but I'm not doing anything. Oh man, I really care about you, but I'm not really doing anything. John explains when he writes in 1 John three seven. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? What does he say? The world's goods. Now look, it's folks, this is always a difficult thing to talk about. And I know, in the grand scheme of the world, we are all fantastically rich in this room. In the grand scheme of what people, literally from the dawn of of humanity, Adam and Eve until now, have been able to possess and do, we have almost no cares. In fact, a significant portion of us, in comparison to how you grew up, How rich are you right now compared to how you grew up? Really rich. You are the rich people you used to wish you could be. Now, you didn't have much imagination. (laughs) But you still are the rich people. There are people in this room, I mean, I'm not just speaking out of turn, that if you've got more pairs of shoes right now in your closet than you had until you were a grown-up, right? That's just life. Have so much. Some of us didn't have any. or hand-me-downs. High waters. And got picked on for it. And heard about it when you showed up at school with them high water bridges. Yeah, I was there. Sure enough. So much so, I remember not wanting to go to school because I knew what I had to wear that day, and I knew they were going to—it was going to be from the time I got school till I got on that bus going home. I was going to hear about it the whole time. And I was probably going to get in a fight because I was going to put up with it as long as I put. I was—I'm tired of this now, and get whooped too, I'm sure. But getting picked on for getting whooped in a fight was better than getting picked on for not having. Clothes to wear. You now, saying all that, there's still going to be people, and this just sounds so bad to say, but I just got to say it the right I just come out and say it. There are going to be people in your church that God has materially blessed. And there are going to be people in your church that God hasn't materially blessed as others, right? If you have received material blessings, And I'm not speaking on anybody specifically. This is just the point. If you receive material blessings, you can guarantee that God has a plan for your material blessings. God has not blessed you with those things just because He loves you. He has blessed you with those things because He loves you. And those things are an avenue for receiving greater blessings. You know they're far, far too many. I've been saying, I've said this many times about preachers, and it's a hard thing to say. A lot of preachers I know in this world will make better accountants than they do preachers. They've really missed their calling because they love to count money more than anything in the world, and I hate it and won't do it and refuse to the point of my own injury. But there's a lot of Baptists out there sitting in pews who missed their call. They should have been accountants because they're good at keeping up with it and they're good at saving it but they're not good at using it for the kingdom when I start to see everything I've got in my house and everything I've got in my day and even the old truck I drive and all those things as God's and to be used for His good and His kingdom then I start to have a different approach a different view of those things don't I? God wants those things put to use in my life and in yours. Now how? I can't just come out and tell you, Lucas is what you're supposed to go do. I can't. We'll never unspiritualize the faith. The faith is a spiritual faith. He's got a plan and a purpose for Stephen's life that is unique to Stephen, that brings honor and glory ultimately to God and never to Stephen, and that will utilize every talent that God gave him and overcome every limitation. And, God is, and it is disrespective of your fear. God doesn't care about your fear. Get busy. He's got the same thing for Buddy, and the same thing for Mike, and the same thing for Joe. He couldn't care less how we want to serve or what we think is the right thing to do with it. Because he decided. Because the smart one got to decide. And God is infinitely intelligent. And he needs understands every nuance of creation. If he's keeping up right now with every subatomic particle and every sub-subatomic particle, all those weird ones you hear about on this you know on, in documentaries that you didn't know existed, if he can keep up with all their locations at the same time, what's he going to do with our lives? What's he going to do with our walk? We don't have to fear, we just have to obey. We don't have to be worried about it, just obey. He's got the details worked out. Real world love of the brother and the neighbor are a measure of the work which Christ has done and continues to do in our lives. And this love manifests itself through our intentional deeds. The deeds that we do intentionally, those things, Mr. Lord, that God is intentionally calling us to do for each other. Those those expressed needs, those things that we can readily see and those things that we're praying about that we can't see. We can't see that that need that needs to be met in a family, in this church, or in this very room that we have no clue about. That God is going to call us to meet through supernatural means. All of that is an expression. All of that intentional work is an expression of that love of God that's now in us. That we abide in. That we live in. How do we know? How do people see the love? The things we do. We're loving people. Loving people do loving things. It's the way it works. That's the way it's supposed to work. Potential deeds are good works which begin with evangelism. Always focus on evangelism, but are not limited simply to verbal testimony. We go out in the mission field and whether whether Joe and Buddy, it's build a house or part of a house or whatever you do. And you do it, why? You do it simply... For the love of the Lord and to show that love to a person. And they get it, don't they? My goodness, I've never done it when they did not get it. Even when I did it bad. Even when I did not, I mean, I've always don't know what I'm doing, but sometimes I even more don't know what I'm doing. Even when we flood the church, Joe. The only people in that church who were not mad about that were the people that go to church there. are they, Joe? they were just as happy as they could be and we were flooding their church out it wasn't our fault we'd stripped the roof off and just had enough time to put a new one on and the, and the storm came and it was raining out of every light can and Rudy was bailing <laughs> it was like emptying out the ocean with a teaspoon but you couldn't make him stop He coming out that door and then run right back in. Um, didn't matter. At the end, they gave us these posters that were thank you cards that I've still got. They're fantastic. Those little kids did that for us. They appreciated those people. We showed the love of Christ to those people. And there was, I mean, was that was something. It wasn't just a verbal testimony, but, but sore backs and. And, and sunburns were part of that testimony. It was in word, we were loving them in word and in deed. And, and evangelistic, now these were believers, evangelistically, were to show the world the love of Christ through word and through deed. Deed without word's not enough. Deed without word will never get them to the cross. But but word without any deed ever whatsoever is cold and dead, and it is not going to lead people to the cross either. We're loving them in word and in deed. Exactly what the scriptures teach us. A danger does exist in admitting to the, to the fold the idea of servant evangelism and a broader notions of the social gospel. Those are things we're fighting about in the church nowadays. The big fights of the social gospel. You don't know about that, but it is. There was a real contentious you know, question and answer period um, at what's called the Shepherd's Conference, just recently held. And during this response to a query it was concerning social justice issues, Albert Moeller, who's at the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, said this. He said, I'm afraid we're going to lose an enormous number of evangelicals to various kinds of social gospel because that's a lot easier to find his satisfaction in than evangelism. And he's, he's, you know, he's right. Because those ideas of the social gospel, I mean, Jane, going out and just digging the water well. And never sharing the gospel. Or just running the medical clinic. And never sharing the gospel. Okay? Or just like when we go into into villages in Haiti. And we would, we would uh, bring rice and beans and cook for them. And just cook for them and never share the gospel. The problem with that is this. Is that those things are all measurable. If you go out in the mission field and you're just driving nails... You know exactly how many you drive. If you get your work done, you get satisfaction. Souls are harder to get satisfaction in, right? It can take people a long time to get to the cross, can't it? You're going to have to share it a lot of times. Some people in this room have been praying for people for decades, haven't we? Decades—a huge portion of our life has been spent praying for individuals to come to the cross. It's very, very hard to quantify that. In fact, what's so sad about it is that we'll go off the mission field and we'll, you know, we'll do things and we'll, we'll quantify everything. We'll count every person who makes a, who signs a card. Why? Because we need to go back and show that it was worthwhile. And, and man, it's hard. It's hard to. Hard to know what God's doing in a soul here, much less in a soul in Haiti or Nicaragua or Honduras or India or China. Hard to know what God's going to do in a soul that we're never going to see again. Ever. One of the problems with that social gospel is that everyday people can do them gladly. Now, it's not a bad thing, but, there's a, but we got to be careful. Because you can take everyday people out there, can't you? Who can drive a nail. And they're way better at it than I'm ever going to be. And it's a lure. But every time we send them out, we've got to make sure, look, folks, this is about helping people and showing the love of Christ. But along the way, it's about what? Sharing that love of Christ through the gospel. It's got to be a gospel enterprise. The salvation of others is more difficult to decipher. Our definition of missions, evangelism, and satisfaction ministry must begin and end with the command of Jesus in Mark 16, 15. And He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. More than anything else, what did God tell us to do? Go in the world, preach the gospel. The reason for this church, for that pulpit... The reason for these pews is an, is an opportunity to preach the gospel locally here and to prepare people to go out in this world and preach the gospel. Everywhere we go, we preach. We have to. Our good deeds done in integrity and faith in God are not contrary to, nor can they take the place of, a verbal witness of the power of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So even though I'm telling you that, that man, you've got to show and tell the love of Jesus... But showing the love of Jesus does never replaces telling the love of Jesus. This is not either or. This is always both. It's always both. Paul says in in Romans one16 for he says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." Look, without this kind of living example in us, this surrender to the purposes of God, which must be daily a part of our lives, both vocal testimony, direct action, as evidenced by both dedications, sin of every variety can and will plague the life of immature believers. Both the lazy and the distracted needing help. So what I said was this, and this is where I'm gonna have to close right here. I'm just not gonna get I want to get done tonight, I'm just not going to make it, okay? Without without everything, both kinds, without vocal testimony and direct action, sin creeps into our lives. You can guarantee that sin is a part of your life if, if, You are not busy for the Lord. Nature pours a vacuum. If you're not being busy, sin is going to find its way in. When you are busy, you're just not distracted. You're just not led astray. Whenever we leave that vacuum in our lives, we are inviting the devil to come in. Inviting him to come in. We don't just need this because God commanded it. We don't just need this because that's the obedience that God has directed us to. We need this because without this, we sink. Without this, we wither. Without this, we don't grow. We need this because we're not complete without gospel mission in our lives. I said this once before, and i one we'll close on. Um, I think the reason why the church can be so full of angst, so full of anxiety, is because an overwhelming majority of God's people are just not sure who God wants them to be. Your mission from the day God saved you was to answer that question. God, with my life, what do you want me to do? Not be usual, because you can always be usual. Anybody can be usual. How are you unusual for Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, I love and adore you and I thank you for the opportunity to come and to preach, Father God. I pray, Lord, that I've done it rightly, that I've done it with um, integrity, Father God. I haven't taken chances, Father God, but I've relied on what you showed me. Please, God, bless us in this room, God, that we can answer that question. Who do you want us to be, Father God? What supernatural, what fantastic, what unusual life, Father God, have you prepared for each of us? And it does not matter what age we are, Father God? It's never too late to reach out and grab hold of exactly what you're calling us to be, Father, for that next level of faithfulness, Father God, for that powerful faithfulness that will lead us to do things that we would never imagine doing without you, Father God. Please bless us now, Father God, and give us the power, Lord, to surrender totally to you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.